All right. This is a great space, huh? So we are concluding this call and mission series. Uh, and this is the final one of the talks in the series. And this one's on discipleship tonight. So we've talked about our call as community, uh, called to mission, and now we're going to talk about discipleship. And, and you'll see when I get into the talk, it's going to be in a couple parts. Um, I won't give them away. you got to stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right, so we're going to set the stage about what we're talking about when we say discipleship. Does somebody, would somebody be willing to read Scripture passage when I give you the nod? All right, look up uh, John chapter 1 and then verse 35 to 42. John 1, 35 to 42. So, discipleship, if you look it up in the dictionary, it gives a few definitions off the bat. It talks about being a pupil. It talks about being one who adheres to another te- another's teaching. Uh, it talks about a follower. Right, All of those are true. They're true for what we're talking about for discipleship. Uh, but I want Josh to read this passage from the first chapter of John to get into what we're really talking about when we're talking about discipleship. Josh. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they turned and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter. So what were, what, were, what were some things that stuck out to you in that passage? I heard the word stay, and it made me think of the true vine parable where he says to remain in me. So mm. part of this idea of discipleship is remaining in him. Right. I heard he changed his name so he could change your life. Mm, very good. What else? I heard Andrew because it was his feast day on Thursday, and they were just talking about how like he was the first follower, like he followed John the Baptist, and he like went and like hunted out Jesus, just like where are you staying, and like brought people in, and just like how like no one talked about Andrew, but he was the first one in both yeah. situations. That's crazy. I mean, I I think that. It was a different time, and so I think the following of a teacher was, was kind of something you did. So there's these folks that were following John the Baptist, and all John had to say 
was behold the Lamb of God. And they knew exactly what that meant, of course. They knew exactly what that meant. And they didn't hesitate. They got up and they followed Jesus, right? And they asked him, where are you staying? Like, we want to stay with you. Where are you staying? Because we want to be with you. And Jesus just says, come and see. Come and see. So the invitation from the Lord, uh, the Lord's invitation to discipleship. And then in his interaction with Peter, somebody said this. Jesus says, it says, Jesus looked at him. There's a lot in there. It's, he just didn't glance at Peter and then give him another name. Uh, he looked at Peter. He looked into Peter's heart and spoke to Peter's heart. Uh, so much so that I'm sure Peter was completely overwhelmed when here this Jesus is who he just met uh, and then tells him that you shall be called something different than you already are called. Crazy. That's amazing. So what was it like for these men to encounter Jesus for the first time? What's it like for us to encounter the Lord? Right? We know from our own experience that he looks, Jesus looks into our soul. He sees the spark of the Father that's within us, and he thirsts for us. And sure, the Lord sees weakness, and he sees sin within us, but that's just a minor obstacle to his love for us. Right? That doesn't impede him getting to our hearts. Uh, it needs to be addressed and cleaned up and moved away. But the Lord is overflowing with a desire to penetrate our heart and to be close and near to us. So more than simply a pupil, more than simply one who adheres to another's doctrine or just a follower, the call to discipleship to Jesus Christ is a very personal and it's a very intimate call. And we also know that this call isn't a group call. Right? The Lord's... There's chairs. We have chairs. Uh, the Lord certainly calls groups of disciples together. Uh, but first, there's the individual and the personal and the intimate call to each of us. Right? We can't ride the coattails of somebody else in their discipleship. Right? Our parents maybe lived lives as disciples. Right? We can't ride their coattails. Or we have close friends that are following the Lord intimately. Maybe our spouse follows the Lord intimately. Great. But you do too. Right? We need to all follow him it's our own call to discipleship in the Lord. And just as we heard in John's gospel just a minute ago, the Lord desires a response from us, right? There's an expectation of the Lord invites, and it's our responsibility to respond to him. So brothers and sisters, when, I, when we're talking about discipleship, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about intimacy with the Lord. We're talking about a closeness and an individuality of the Lord seeking us out. There's a quote from 
Lumen Gentium. Indeed, he sent the Holy Spirit upon all men, that he might move them inwardly to love God with their whole heart and their whole soul, with all their mind and all their strength. So it's the Lord's desire through his Holy Spirit that he would move us inwardly to love him. Even our response to him is grace, right? It's a grace to be able to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. What, what generous God we have, right? He, even in the, our response to him, it's, it's grace. So the Lord has always, from the very beginnings, he's always called disciples to be with him. But why in recent history has there been a concerted effort on the part of the church to reemphasize or maybe to clarify that this call to discipleship is for all peoples. There was a reason why that had to be done, right? The Second Vatican Council spoke very clearly and distinctly to the call to discipleship is for all peoples, laity included, uh, because it's true, right? That's true. The Lord called all peoples, right? He didn't he didn't distinguish. He didn't say, priests and religious, you're my disciples. Laity, live off them, right? So it's true. Uh, but there, must, there was something going on within the church before that that people had that impression that I don't have to live as a disciple or uh, I can just live uh, that, you know, father up there is the, is the true disciple and who am I? I'm just a lowly layperson. I have nothing to offer the Lord. But that's not, that's not the case at all. The Lord, welcomes, the Lord welcomes all. And also, the church did this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because she knew that mediocre Christianity in the world today would not survive. So failing to respond to the Lord's invitation to be disciples will render us ineffective in the Christian life and ineffective as the Lord's instruments in the world. This is a quote from John Paul II to a a number of bishops that speaks to this point. He says, because of the secularization that has weakened or even extinguished faith in many hearts and led the way to irrational beliefs. In many parts of the world, the church finds herself facing an environment similar to that of her origins. What was the church like in the, or, the very beginnings of the church? It was, it was within a culture that, did the culture fully embrace the church at the time? Not at all. Right? It was openly hostile to the core beliefs of the church. That's why so many people died uh, so early on when we hear about that, because the culture wasn't accepting of the teachings of Jesus and what the church stood for. So Pope John Paul II is saying, welcome to our culture, right? This is when we think about uh, what we hear on the news and, you know, think about what's going on on college campuses today, for goodness sake, holy smokes, here we are. So, brothers and sisters, we set our minds, we must set our minds and our hearts first and foremost in one direction 
That is to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And then we come to the special calls within the call to discipleship. So right from the very beginning, there have been a variety of calls within the call. Right, there's an incredible richness and diversity in the church. So people can live out their discipleship in so many different ways, even vocationally to the married life or to the single life or to the consecrated life as a priest or religious. Right, missionally, there's a wide range living an active life serving the poor or the sick or the young or the imprisoned or the terminally ill. Right? We may have a particular call to teach or to preach or to perform healings, to be active or contemplative or cloistered. And more recently, with the new movements in the church, right? ours being one of them, this covenant community movement, but we have Opus Dei and Communion and Liberation and Focolare and the Neocatechumal Way, the Emmanuel community, all of these new communities that have begun now in the last 50 years. And all of these calls, all of these different groupings or missionary focuses are all legitimate calls within a call ultimately to discipleship first and foremost. So at their heart, all of these movements, all of these expressions, there's the fundamental call to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ, but there are different expressions in how to live that out. So, just to reiterate, when we're talking about discernment, the first call to be a disciple of Jesus, you don't need to discern that. The Lord says you're called to be a disciple of Jesus. So you don't have to discern that call, okay? But the particular call within the call to be a disciple does need to be discerned, right? That's why you're here. That's why you're going through this underway process is to discern. So let's talk about living as a disciple in this way of life. We know that our lives are made up of various commitments and responsibilities to our work life, to our family life, personal relationships, in our mission and service. And if we've lived the Christian life long enough, we know that we can't simply remove ourselves from these commitments and responsibilities to follow Jesus. Rather, for us as laity in particular, it's within these duties and these responsibilities and these commitments that we live as disciples. It's within them. It's through them. When we come to embrace them, that we live as disciples. Uh, a couple of saintly examples uh, to illustrate. Has anyone read Introduction to the Devout Life? A few people? Great, great book. St. Francis de Sales. Uh, this, was, this is old. This was, my, this was pretty key to my own initial conversion. Uh, so this is a book that, uh, well, it's actually a collection of letters that St. Francis de Sales wrote to uh, his cousin, who was the wife of an ambassador to a duke. So this is, you know, uh, late 16th, early 17th century. And 
this, this woman, St. Francis de Sales' cousin, was writing to him, asking him, how can I live as a disciple of Jesus within the context of the fullness of my life? Right? So she was going to uh, things that the wife of a duke, the wife of an ambassador to a duke would do. Right? So fancy things, fancy parties, kind of all sorts of uh, fancy stuff. Right? So how do I live as a disciple in the midst of that? And this is a collection of his responses. So one of the things that he says right off the bat, this is in the very beginning of the book. Uh, so the, again, the collection of letters, uh, he originally wrote them to this woman, but he's made it into a, a spiritual reading book. So he refers to the person that he's writing to as Philothea, lover of God. He says, no, Philothea, true devotion. And so what St. Francis means by true devotion is the pursuit of holiness, right? That's what he's talking about. He says, no, Philothea, true devotion does us no harm whatsoever, but instead it, protect, it perfects all things. When it goes, when true devotion goes contrary to a man's lawful vocation, it is undoubtedly false. True devotion not only does no injury to one's vocation or occupation, but on the contrary, adorns and beautifies it. So what he's saying here is, if what you think you need to do to follow the Lord takes away takes you away from the duties and responsibilities that you uh, have taken on through your vocation, through your particular call, then that's not what the Lord wants from you. It's actually through your daily circumstances, the things that have been placed in your life, uh, in your own particular call, that you're supposed to live out this pursuit of holiness. And then a second example would be St. Therese of Lisieux. Right? What, what did she, uh, what was her kind of attempt at bringing understanding to following Jesus? What did she call it? Her little way. So this was St. Therese's attempt to capture her understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That we seek holiness in the normal, in the ordinary, in the everyday circumstances of our life. Right? And she tried to live that every day of her life, even in the midst of horrible sickness. She tried to live this little way based on two fundamental convictions that she had, that God shows love by mercy and forgiveness, and that she could not be perfect in following the Lord. Right? And it's only after uh, seeking him uh, and suffering for him that the Lord began to reveal to her this little way that she's never, uh, she's never going to be perfect in following the Lord. And that the Lord shows his love for us by his mercy and his forgiveness. So why, why are these two examples even important to us? Because once again, it, it renews within us the Lord's call to all of us particularly us as laity, to live as his disciples. And another reason it's important is because it quiets our hearts, right? Maybe that little whisper that says, if I only had another job and I had more time to serve Jesus, or if I only made more money, 
and I would be able to give my life more fully. Or if I only hadn't, didn't have to stay home with these little people, I would be able to love him better. If I lived in a different neighborhood, maybe I could follow Jesus more faithfully. Right? These are some of the doubts that can flow in our mind. But if we listen to what the Lord has to say here, if we listen to what these saints are saying, it's within the circumstances of our life that we come to know and to follow the Lord. This is what discipleship is. All right. The decision to be a part of a people is an acceptance of the call. So as I said earlier, the call to discipleship isn't a group call, right? It's an individual call for each of us. It's personal. It's intimate. However, the Lord desires that his disciples be a part of a committed and faithful body of believers. Why do we know this? Because that's what he did, right? He gathered about him a group of followers, not for his benefit, but for theirs, right? Because he wanted to teach them. He wanted them to learn to love one another. He wanted them to learn from him, uh, He trained them in, uh, again, the importance of loving one another. And in the midst of an increasingly difficult culture, uh, the one in which we live, the Lord has called a community like this one to teach and to support and to encourage its members to live out the life of daily discipleship within the context of our daily lives. So as for you all, you're in a process of discerning if the Lord is calling you to live this way of life through the Heart of the Redeemer Covenant community. At the bottom of your outline, there's a few questions that can be really helpful as you're going through a process of discernment when it comes to Is the Lord calling me to be a part of this covenant community? Questions that you can ask yourself would include, how am I going to live out the call to discipleship? How am I going to live that out in my life? Where am I going to find support to live this out? Who am I going to commit my life to as a a fellow disciple? And how will I serve and with whom will I serve the Lord? These are just helpful questions to get us to think in terms of where the Lord has us, right? It can be helpful to remember when we're discerning anything that the Lord works through our experience in our relationships, in our history, in our situations, right? There can be, there can be this idea that we need to somehow disconnect ourselves from all that's happened and discern in a vacuum to really hear the Lord clearly, right? But that's not, that's not actually how the Lord speaks to our hearts. We, we can't disconnect ourselves from our experience in our relationships, in the situations that he's brought us into, and the various circumstances in which we find ourselves, right? So we don't discern in a vacuum. We discern with all of those things in mind. So the Lord has brought you here today, and now you need to determine what that history says about the Lord's longer-term call for you. 
right? That's why you're in this process. It's helpful to remember, again, that the call comes from the Lord, right? The Lord's the one that does the calling. And he can use conversations, situations, circumstances to speak to our hearts. And it's our role to be attentive to those things. So the bottom line is the call is a work of God in our hearts and we need to rely upon him, rely upon his grace, rely upon his help in the process. So I just wanted to take a little bit of time to speak uh, specifically to my own experience as uh, living as a disciple, just as a way to testify to uh, who the Lord is and uh, maybe you can glean something from what I'm saying. So my first experience with <clears throat> kind of this way of life or an umbrella of this way of life was coming back home from college and being a part of uh, a summer program that SPO was running at the time. And <clears throat> what I encountered there was something that I had never encountered before, a men's household, a collection of men who were uh, strong men that welcomed me in, men that loved one another, and men that were on fire for the Lord. And I spent, uh, I wasn't living in the house, but I went down there a couple nights a week for dinner, and that's when the program happened, and then I was with them various weekends too, so I had a lot of interaction with them. And that was all it, that's, that's all it took for me. I was hooked. Right? I couldn't wait to get back to uh, St. Paul the next summer to be a part of a household and live that life myself. Uh, this led to entering more fully into this way of life through a uh, household and then ultimately onto SPO staff. Uh, and for the first time in my life, I was really being discipled in the Lord. Baptism in the Holy Spirit brought forth certain gifts within me that I didn't know I had. And while I was, I was, I'm still rough, but while rough and in need of a fair bit of pruning and shaping, uh, I began to uh, have a personal prayer life, right? I began to engage the Lord and to encounter him uh, and actually listen to him for the first time. Uh, before that time, I could probably count on two hands the number of books that I had read in my life, which for readers, that's, how is that possible that you could be, you know, 22 years old or 21 or whatever I was and, and not read books, but I didn't read books. Right? I remember reading James and the Giant Peach. That's what I remember. That was the extent of my experience with literature was James and the Giant Peach. But after this point, I devoured books on faith and life in the Holy Spirit and discipleship uh, like crazy. Like so many of the books in this room, I've, I've actually read them, which is really unusual for me. <laughs> and through my time with SPO staff, I was introduced to the community of Christ the Redeemer. I was drawn to these older brothers and sisters in the Lord that were serving him so generously. And I was drawn to 
the holy marriages that I observed within the community. I was drawn to families living for Jesus and raising their children in the Lord. I was the the youngest of uh, four in my family, so I had three older siblings. And while my experience of family life was was a very positive experience growing up, what I encountered in these families and community was an intentional living of a way of life in their home. So an intentional way of life that they lived. I didn't have that experience growing up. Uh, so this was these were the things that I encountered and just blew me away about the body of people in this community. So after Betsy and I were married, we moved through the under the underway process, and the Lord was about a deep work in our hearts through our involvement in the community. This was the place, the community there was the place where we received life. Uh, very early on, we were encouraged, and I'll, I'll repeat this a few times, to live at the heart of the community. And that's something that stuck with us uh, all along that we've been a part of it, to live at the heart. Don't live on the fringes, right? There's a lot of room on the fringes, right? We can kind of come and go, there's room on the fringes, but live at the heart of the community. So this was the place, that was the place where we invested our lives. It's the place where relationships that drew out the best in us personally and in our married life. These were the brothers and sisters that cared for us in some very challenging times and celebrated with us in our joy. So as we're nearing the end of the underway process, uh, there was no question in Uh, my heart or my wife's heart, that the Lord's call for us was to covenant ourselves with the the community of Christ the Redeemer. So May 18th of 2003, we did that. And uh, it was such a blessing for us to to continue to grow in deep and life-giving relationships, uh, living a way of life in our home with our growing family, serving young adults, leading groups and doing pastoral care and opening our home up to young adults to live with us. Uh, Life was good. And life was steady. And life was a blessing to us. The Lord had us in a great place. And then the Lord had another call within the call to discipleship for us. In 2011, uh, I I was at the community men's retreat and uh, I was praying before the, the Blessed Sacrament, and the Lord whispered to my heart in prayer an invitation uh, to come to Kansas City and to help build covenant community in Kansas City. And thank you, Lord. Uh, I'm a pretty conservative person, right? I don't, don't like the, my boat to be rocked. Kind of steady as she goes, stick in the mud if you want, if you will. Actually, I was, um, I looked, I was just looking up some uh, antonyms for the term risk taker. And I did that online. And I, I don't agree with this at all. The only one that was in the list that they provided was boring. And I don't agree with that. I don't think I'm boring necessarily all the time but come on lord move my family to kansas city that's crazy that's crazy talk uh 
But through a series of uh, late night conversations, uh, prayer, and stepping out in faith, Betsy and I told the Lord uh, that we would be willing to go to Kansas City for a two to three year period if he provided me with a job and did something with the home that we had that we owned in St. Paul. Those were our two conditions. Job, home. We didn't want this discernment business to go on forever, so we gave the Lord a time frame. We said, four months, Lord. So this was the beginning of April. We said by, what is that, the end of July? Three? We said three. Anyhow, we gave the Lord a time frame. All right? Job, house, time frame. Lord, there you go. Work with that. So the Lord, the Lord did work with that. Uh, he needed two days, and that was for our sake that he took two days, right? He could have taken a matter of minutes, but so the first day, this was the day, so we, we made this, this pledge as we're sitting in our giant bathroom upstairs, uh, brushing our teeth, sitting on the tub, and Betsy was brushing her teeth, and we said, uh, this, is, this is our offer, Lord. And so Monday morning, uh, I go into, the, into my office and I get a message from Matt Carr saying, there's a mutual friend in St. Paul that needs to rent a house for he and his family for two to three years. Okay, that's, that's odd uh, that that happened so quickly. So I went went home and told Betsy that. Uh, that, was, that was great. So I went into my boss's office on Tuesday morning. It was like 9.30, and I said, this is kind of crazy, uh, but I'm thinking of quitting, and we're thinking of moving to Kansas City. And I, didn't have a, I had no idea what I was going to do for work, so I didn't know where this was going. And he said, well, have you ever thought of working remotely and just taking your, your job on the road? I didn't know that was an option for me to do that. So this was like 10 a.m. on Tuesday, and we had the opportunity uh, pretty much from that point on. I mean, I didn't need any more convincing. Uh, Betsy may have, you didn't need any more, no no more convincing necessary. Uh, The two conditions that we gave the Lord, the time frame that we gave the Lord, uh, and he took care of it. So six weeks later, we pulled into our little rental house in Kansas City, Uh, And here we are. So over the course of our time, uh, over that initial period, it became evident that we weren't going back to St. Paul, right? That this was now our community, and these were our people. And so we're here still six and a half years later uh, with no intention of leaving, provided that the Lord doesn't issue any more craziness. Uh, but we'll have to have a, we'd have to have a talk about that, if that would happen. Uh, so it, just reflecting on our time here, what the Lord has been about, uh, is really a significant work of uh, grace in my own heart. And just want to share a few reflections as I've been thinking about what he has done. Uh, certainly growing my own heart to love better, to love him but to love those around me. Stretching me to do things like teach, 
and to lead and to love. <clears throat> These weren't things that I was uh, comfortable with at all. I don't know that I'm still really all that comfortable with them, uh, but the Lord has this for me. If I was honest, I would say that this has been a hard call for us, uh, yet the Lord has been so faithful, right? So we came from a situation that was, uh, in my wife's words, very comfortable for us. We were extremely blessed. Uh, life was full uh, and a blessing. Uh, and here we are. The Lord had uh, a need for that uh, to be expressed elsewhere. And I'm so grateful for that. So I pray that, that our yes has been uh, a blessing to other people. Uh, I think that's what the Lord intends when we say yes to him is that it will be a blessing to others. So we came to, to Kansas City to help build covenant community, and by God's grace, a covenant community with covenanted members has been established. Uh, and what a gift that is. What a gift that is to, to us. Uh, that's why the Lord called us here, and to actually have that come to fruition is just amazing. It's an amazing thing. So praise Jesus. So just to, I'm, I'm almost done here. Uh, so you are all here in a place of uh, discerning this way of life. And up to this point, you've been making uh, one-year commitments to formation. Uh, and that's been really good and that's been really healthy. It's allowed you to Receive formation in the Christian life, gone through courses like Christian personal relationships and the emotions course and the fruits of the spirit course and foundations in Christian living. You've had the opportunity to try on our way of life for a season to see if it works for you. You've grown in relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of these realities are wonderful and they're beautiful and they will lay a foundation for the rest of their life, the rest of your lives. You'll take these things with you. Uh, and they're for a season, <clears throat> right? The, the, the blessing of that is you're able to try it on, to grow in relationship, uh, and there's an out to move along to something else that the Lord is calling you to. Right? That's, that's part of the deal. But brothers and sisters, we are a covenant community, and that covenant is expressed by a lifelong yes to this particular community. These people, this place, uh, not this place in particular. Mary's room is great. Maybe we'll be here. I don't know. Uh, but this place in Kansas City, these people. <clears throat> There's a beautiful truth when I say that we as covenant members live it with all of our lives for the rest of our lives. By our choice as covenant members, we set aside the out. Not that we can't leave if the Lord's circumstances dictate that we do, uh, but we choose not to. Right? We choose to be here for all of our lives, for the rest of our lives. So my encouragement to you <clears throat> is that you fully enter into this discernment with your hearts in tune with what the Lord is doing in your hearts. Uh, again, to live at the heart of the community, 
to invest in relationships, to live the patterns of life faithfully, to invest in serving in the community, to be praying for the Lord's guidance in this. The Lord wants to uh, show you where he wants you to be. So pray for that. I would encourage you to talk about the state of your discernment with your pastoral leader. Right, Get their feedback. Talk about it. I mentioned some questions before. Think about these questions. How am I going to live out my life uh, as being called as a disciple? How am I going to live that out? And where am I going to find support to do so? And who will I commit my life to as a fellow disciple? And where am I going to serve and with whom am I going to serve the Lord? These are key questions for discernment. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is calling you to be his disciples. We know this. And the Lord may very well be calling you to give your yes to this covenant community. But regardless of where he calls you, what is the Lord going to do uh, with your yes to him? I just want to leave you with that. What is he going to do with your yes to him? You never know. Uh, And that's the beauty of it. So that's the end of the talk. Any any particular questions, uh, any feedback, comments that you would offer in terms of uh, discipleship and then a particular call within that call? Well, I would say that it was it was the circumstances and our experience. I mean, that's <clears throat> this movement was where uh, we came to know the Lord, both my wife and I. This movement was where uh, we we grew in Him. This movement was where our relationships were. So it wasn't a even we weren't even really discerning is it this movement or this one or this one. We were discerning if we were going to live with the rest of our lives in a covenant community. Um, so again, just reiterating that the Lord works in our experiences, in our relationships, in our circumstances. Uh, and we need to take that into account. Like, where have I been? What have, how have I grown? With whom have I grown? Where has the Lord been leading me? Uh, and take that into account as we discern. I think that that's, that's a, a key principle for discernment. We don't want to do this in a vacuum. We really want to have all of those things inform where the Lord wants us to be. Sure. So what I heard that he was saying is, so he's talking about He's talking about true devotion or this pursuit of holiness. <clears throat> and I think the question that he was trying to respond to was, uh, what if my pursuit of holiness negatively impacts my 
my actual vocation? And what he's saying is, well, that's, it's, that's actually not true devotion then, if it's doing that. If it's taking you away from whatever, whatever it is, uh, when our pursuit of holiness, he says, is contrary to a man's lawful vocation, it's undoubtedly false. So we're on the wrong path, is what he's saying. So if, if me as a married man, if I somehow think that, well, clearly the Lord, if he wants me to really follow him, I need to go down the road to the nearest monastery and lock myself inside. That's not true, actually. That's not true. I can't do that. I have a wife and a family to support. Uh, in the same, the same way for somebody that's given their life, life to the Lord uh, as, as a, a celibate single person. They can't say, uh, if I really want to, to follow the Lord, I need to get married and have kids. Well, that's not actually what the Lord called you to. So maybe you should do what the Lord called you to. I, that's, what, that's what this spoke to me. That's right. Thank you. I mean, and that's a, I, again, I think that's what one of the things that Second Vatican Council was, was trying to address here is, <clears throat> no, 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 you got it all wrong if that's, the, if that's your view. That's not what Jesus is teaching. So, anyways. Amen? All right. Thank you all. Uh, did we have a, did we have a sign-up sheet? It's up there. Great. All right. God bless you. We're going to go upstairs and pray.